have not been washed by the blood, that is the main purpose why we're here. That you would hear about the work and person of our Lord Jesus Christ, his work upon the cross to shed his blood, the sacrifice for our sin. That's what our study in Hebrews has been about. The great high priest who has brought a sacrifice once and for all time, an end to every other sacrifice that just anticipated him, looked forward to him, the reality, the fulfillment. All other things were shadows, simply pointing the direction. Jesus is the reality, the truth. He is the way, the truth. He is the life. Well, we're going to read this final section uh, from Hebrews Uh, verses 20 to 25 of Hebrews chapter 13. invite you to open your Bibles and uh, follow along. Leave them there, because this will be the text of our message this morning. And um, But we will have a response from a psalm uh, as we would listen to the Word of God. Our focus is going to be the shepherd, the great shepherd of our souls. Hebrews chapter 13, verse... And now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you might do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, Bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you but briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all the leaders and all the saints. And those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with you all. And so from the psalmist we have these words. The Lord is the strength of his people. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Amen. The prayer is that he would be indeed your shepherd. Well, we're coming through this passage and we're looking at Hebrews. Hebrews indeed uh, is about Jesus all about Christ and we're to set our minds on things above we're to fix our eyes on Jesus the author the perfecter of our faith uh, the, the the full confession of our faith we look to him our our purpose in this study is to be able to see to see better to see more clearly to have a new vision for life for ministry That vision, not about what we can accomplish, not how we would measure it, but a vision that is cast on Jesus and Him alone. And He is indeed our great shepherd. What I want to do is come to the the last paragraph first and then end upon the benediction. In verse 22, you have the the author, again, finally appealing uh, to Uh, his brothers and sisters in the church, this little fledgling Hebrew church. We don't exactly know the location, but we have a sense that they might be in Rome. They might be in Italy. For those who are from Italy, wherever the preacher is at the moment, 
with him send back their greetings to their friends and loved ones there in Italy. The preacher has exhorted the church and he exhorts them now to put up with his exhortation. Bear with my word of exhortation. I have written to you, but briefly. He's unpacked the doctrines of of God's revelation to us. He's unpacked God's doctrine of redemption for us. And he's cycled through these things again and again, showing us that Christ is better. He's better than anything else. He's better than anyone else. And he's gone through, in essence, the creation of God's people from Abraham all the way through the temple, temple service, showing how they pointed to Jesus, but now that Jesus is here, they are obsolete. And this epistle uh, is just about 10,000 words long. That sounds really big, um, but 10,000, that's a matter of perspective, right? One of my, my last writing projects had a uh, word limitation of 100,000 words. Was dare not go over that. And at first I thought, that will not be a problem. And then I found this is a problem. Now, 10,000 words is really quite small. This, this letter is shorter than Romans. It's shorter than 1 Corinthians. You could read it aloud probably in an hour or less, not stopping to think about it, you know, and ponder along the way. Just keep reading about an hour. Um, this is brief. In fact, a couple of times, chapter 9, chapter 11, he said, I could talk a lot more about these things, but we just don't have time. And in one case, you're not even ready yet, he says. But he says, pay attention to my teaching. Pay attention to the scriptures that are here. Pay attention. Even as he admonished us as the people of God to listen to our leaders, to obey them, that is to listen to what they have taught us and then follow through in a life of obedience. And so he asks them to do this for him. This is God's preacher in verse 22. Verse 23 and 24 talks about God's people. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. And those who come from Italy send you greetings. This is God's people. God's prisoner, apparently, Timothy, we we understand this to most likely be the Timothy that traveled with Paul, the Timothy that received those letters, First and Second Timothy. It's Paul who wrote to him and saying, be strong, endure hardship, uh, apparently actually listened to his mentor, endured hardship, and to the point of being placed into prison, and now being released, being in prison because he preached the supremacy of Jesus Christ, the one king, one Lord, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, not Caesar, but Jesus. And that got him in trouble and ended up in prison. And he's to be released. And this ought to be, in one sense, an encouragement to the church that uh, their brother, their, their uh, son of the apostle in the Lord uh, is to come and see them and share God's word with them. 
Yet it's also to be an encouragement to keep on. Oh, oh, Timothy's coming. We better, we better endure also. We better indeed suffer for the gospel. Timothy did, and he's coming. We can too, by the power of God's Spirit. Greet all your leaders. There's an implication that there's more than one. There's a plurality of leadership within uh, the local church. Plurality of elders. I think this is probably a synonym uh, for the word elder in this context. Elder-led, elder-fed is what the local churches were. Now, they had those guest speakers like Timothy coming once in a while, but the elders were the main feeders, the shepherds of the sheep. It says, pray all the saints, greet all the saints. Again, a sense of inclusion. We are the brotherhood, we are the sisterhood, we are the community, the household of God, the faith, the people of God. But also an admonition for, remember, this letter has been about stay firm, stand strong, hold on to the faith of Jesus Christ. Don't don't leave it behind. Don't go back to your old ways of external religious systems, your, your external ways of making yourself look like you're religious. Don't go back to, in their case, to Judaism. Don't go back to the temple and animal sacrifices, for if you do that, you're, you're denying the work of Jesus. Don't go back. We too find ourselves where we need the same admonition. Greet all the saints. All of us need to work together, strive together, walk together, live together, worship together, believe together. When difficult times come and they're coming, we need one another and we are all the saints. Well, God's preacher, God's people, uh, the last verse, God's presence. Grace be with all of you. Grace be with all of you. It's a benediction in and of itself. A classic way in which uh, letters of the day would be ended, but this with a particular theological emphasis, grace. Grace. Well, we have the acronym. It's fairly accurate. G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. Indeed, God sent forth His Son. We who were totally undeserving, God sent forth His Son to pay the price. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God's riches at Christ's expense be with you. We, we begin the Christian life by grace through faith, and we continue to live the Christian life by grace through faith. We live the same way in which we began. We're born again by the Spirit, and we live and walk in the power of the Spirit. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of grace. Grace. Well, now let's back up. We've seen God's preacher, God's people, God's presence, but uh, here is the benediction in verse 20. God in, uh, is described as peace, God's peace. And, and this benediction is a way as an expansion upon what grace is. This is 
Why grace? How grace? God's peace. Verse 20. Now may the God of peace, the God of peace. Peace essentially is an attribute of God. And He is the source of peace. God is peace. This God of peace is, can be yours today. But peace is not an exemption card uh, from suffering. It's not an exemption card from trial or tribulation. Peace is, well, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word would be shalom. In the New Testament, it's uh, similar. It's the basis from which we get a lady's name, Renee. The word peace is a Renee. Hey, Renee, from the UP. God's peace is not the removal necessarily of trial and suffering, but God's peace is riding the storm through the trial, through the suffering, through the difficult times. The peace of God is, in fact, satisfaction with God, contentment with God, resting in the Lord. Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke, take my yoke, and take it upon you. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. The yoke is there, the burden is there, but when we rest in Christ and we pull with Him. We have this repose. We have this peace. Peace is from God and peace is with God. And this peace is obtained through death and resurrection. Verse 20 goes on to say, the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. This is, this is the one direct reference to the resurrection in the entire letter. There's a lot of emphasis on His death and His sacrifice and the shedding of His blood. And here we have the one overt reference to the resurrection. that God raised His only begotten Son. He looked upon the work of Jesus, the Son, and said, well done, Son. Come back up. Come on up. Not come on down. Come on up. Well done. And His resurrection is a vindication that His work is complete and satisfactory. Satisfactory to God. And friend, if it's satisfactory to God, it must be satisfactory for you. Peace is obtained through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Shed once and for all time. He doesn't die again and again. He's not offered again and again like any other sacrifice has been. His blood has been sprinkled on the heavenly altar in heavenly court. And there it is not reshed, but it perpetually cleanses us from sin, even as, as Doug and the band 
exhorted to us, have you been to the river? Have you been washed? Have you been cleansed in the blood of the Lamb? I'm imposing another song into it, but you get the idea, right? That's what they exhorted us. And it, and it is the blood of Jesus Christ alone that is satisfactory for peace with God. And He's shed it, and it's yours. It can be applied to you. It can be applied to your heart, to your conscience, that you would be free from guilt and shame of all kinds. Hebrews 9.14 How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Here we have a wonderful triune verse. The Son, the Spirit, and God all work involved in our cleansing, our redemption, our purification. The blood of Christ through the eternal Spirit purifies our conscience to serve God. Hebrews 10, verses 21 and following. We have a great high priest over the house of God. So let us draw near with a full heart, a true heart, and full assurance of faith. Our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Our bodies washed with pure water. Let's hold fast the confession of our hope for He who promised is faithful. This is peace. The peace of God. Peace with God. Accomplished through the death and resurrection of Jesus who is the great shepherd of the sheep. Just as he had been earlier called the great high priest, he is now the great shepherd of the sheep. Probably anticipated from uh, Isaiah chapter 63 and verse 11. The shepherd of the sheep. The context is of another uh, exodus, another cleansing. When Moses uh, led the people of Israel out of of Egypt and crossing the sea. They were baptized through that water, passing through that Red Sea, even on dry ground, and saved from an old way of life, a life of slavery and servitude, of suffering, of shame. And now that even picture is greater fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who has gone through, oh, not the Red Sea, but has gone through the veil separating us from God and allowing us to enter into the Holy of Holies, the holy place. Oh, don't worry about some promised land. We get the reality of what that picture was. It's just an illustration. We get to go into the Holy of Holies and rest with God. This is God's peace. And the benediction goes on in verse uh, 21. Equip you with everything good. Equip you with everything good. God's provision. God is given us everything that's necessary for life and godliness. The word equip here is, is a fascinating word. It's a, it's a word that's used uh, of 
the, the disciples, when they were fishermen, they would be mending their nets. The same word, mend, is our word equip. Or uh, in Galatians, it's restore the brother, the sinning brother. And the picture is that of a, of a broken bone that is being held together and mended, healing. And God, through Christ, because of the resurrection and the blood of the covenant, is able to heal you, to mend you, to restore you, and to equip you. They tell me that uh, when a bone is broken and it heals in that spot, in that particular place, it's strong. The calcification, the bone grows and it's stronger and likely won't break there again. Maybe right next to it, but it won't break there again. Now you can look it up and find out if I'm right. But supposing the illustration is even more so, God takes you broken, bruised, heals and mends you, restores you and equips you for every good work. Every good work. And, and we know, we look around and we see our prayer list and we, we receive the prayer chain and we're overwhelmed with the physical hurts and weaknesses in our midst, in our body. Not just our body, but our body of Christ. Where, where is that healing? Where is that mending? Well, there's a healing and a mending that goes far deeper than your body. The great physician touches deep within. You remember our reading in Hebrews chapter 4. That the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating joints and marrow, soul and spirit, exposing us before the Lord, cauterizing us, opening us up, and taking out all of the damage and disease of a sin-sick soul and bringing a spiritual restoration of life in Christ with the hope and the promise that when Jesus returns, He indeed will raise this deprecated body to glory. A new body, a new life. Until then, this flesh gets weaker. Our minds grow dimmer. Our bodies weaker. But if we're in Christ, our soul, our spirit is alive and richer and stronger. God's provision. God can put you back together, says one writer, so you can do His will no matter what. This is indeed for God's pleasure. Verse 21 goes on, equip you with everything good that you may do His will, 
working in us that which is pleasing in His sight. The pleasure of God. I, I think, I believe, I know, deep within every human being created in the image of God is a longing for God's pleasure. One theologian, Augustine, would say our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. Your stirring, your wandering, your restlessness is that desire for God's pleasure. We think we will find the satisfaction of pleasure in the selfish pursuit of fulfilling our desire. We think that that will bring pleasure. And perhaps we get a taste of that for the moment. But it is, in the end, never satisfying, is it? For you constantly need to go back, and not with the same dose, but with an even more intense dose of whatever it might be to get that same sense of pleasure. And rather, it controls you. It has devoured you. Rather than you finding true, eternal pleasure. Now it is true that when we find our satisfaction in God, indeed, we keep going back to Him for more. The habit, the repetition itself isn't the problem, but it's only God that truly satisfies and brings pleasure unto life and not unto death. There can be no real effective working out of all those good things unless God works in first. You catch that? May He equip you with everything good to do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight. In and of yourself, you can't, know the pleasure of God, you can't please God. And God understood that in His divine wisdom. And so His plan all along had been to come Himself in the Son and to make satisfaction so that, that through His work, His power, His enablement, He would work in us all that is pleasing unto the Father. You see, yes, Christ died for our sins, but He was raised for our life. And when we're united with Christ in His death and in His life, then the life that Christ lived was also in your place, not only His death. His life was lived in your place. The pleasure that he enjoyed from the Father, the pleasure that he gave to the Father, is now 
yours because of Christ. And it's His accomplishments that bring you pleasure and pleasure unto God. John chapter 15 and verse 5 says, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, that's true ontologically. Hebrews began with Jesus Christ, our creator. The radiance of the glory of God in whom all things hold together. We're here sitting in these comfortable chairs because God through Christ, enables us to bear with these chairs. The order's been placed. The supply chain is long. We must bear just a little longer. Now, but apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Our life, our breath is in Him. And so true in the Spirit. All that brings pleasure unto God as a fragrant offering is the enablement of, of God because of Jesus by the indwelling Holy Spirit that bears fruit in your life, that brings the gifts of God's grace in your life. All this is wrapped up in this wonderful benediction. May the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you might do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Well, we've seen all these that belong to God, and now it is the praise that belongs to Christ. Most doxologies in the New Testament are praise unto the God, the Father. There's a few, and this would be one, where the doxology is centered on Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, to whom? To Him. Be glory forever and ever. Yes, Jesus is God. Jesus is co-equal with the Father. True God from true God, light from light, of the same essence as the Father, eternally begotten, not made. The radiance of the glory of God, Jesus. And for all that He has accomplished on behalf of us, His people, for you who belong to Him, united with Him, all these Blessings are yours. And so our response, our response to all this multitude, this manifold blessing, is to praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. To Him be the glory forever and ever. And the, what better way to conclude but with amen. I say amen. You say amen. It's okay. The word is in Greek, amen, which comes from the Hebrew, amen. It's transliterated in and comes to the English as amen. Oh, some 
foolish, some foolish, foolish pastor at a national prayer meeting said, ah, women, at the close of his prayer instead of amen. It has absolutely no linguistic connection at all with amen. 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 It's not a gender word. It's a word that means it's true. Truly. When our translations say, truly, truly, I say unto you, it's amen, amen. When we respond to a prayer, we say it's true. In the name of Jesus, it's true. When we respond to a song, a ministry of music, we say amen or amen, depending on the style. It's true. The testimony that the band gave us to this morning, it's true. Amen. Now, and, and clap offerings are good too. A clap offering unto the Lord, praising Him, saying, Amen. That's good. Praise to the Father, to the Son, to the Spirit. And so we close this again, reminded of our key verses. Hebrews 3, verse 1, and Hebrews 12, and verse 2. You who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and the high priest of our faith. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. The elder statesman who... uh, who I met in a restaurant 21 years ago and told me that this church was looking for a pastor. You know how he would always end his greetings, his time, his visit with you. Keep looking up. Reverend Lehman would, would always have his eyes fixed on Jesus, always looking unto Jesus. Keep looking up. Of course, Jesus is coming back, so look for his return. Shall we pray together? Indeed, Father, we come to you again. Uh, Through Jesus and the enablement of your Holy Spirit, we're grateful for these truths we've we've, uh, digested over these weeks of Jesus Christ, a complete satisfaction for our sin, our brokenness, and all the effects that 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 wreaks havoc in our life. Jesus is enough. He is everything. And we call upon Him. And it's possible that in our midst there's one who doesn't know Jesus in this way, has never united with Christ, trusted Him, for everything, for life, for godliness. And so may that one now yield to you. Confess their inabilities and and trust the, the abilities of Christ. And so have newness of life. 
And we who know Christ and are united with him, may we be renewed in our, our walk. May we be refreshed in our life. May our eyes be opened anew to see Jesus in all of his splendor and glory, seated at your right hand. Through him we pray. Amen.